Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Career Goals. I am Chris Calvert, taking you through your fast track for an asylum officer, and that is an agent of the federal government. So how do you end up being an asylum officer? There are, I guess, a few avenues that you could take, and one of those would be to go to law school and become a lawyer. But I'm going to talk to you just reflecting on this conversation a little bit, you might think if you're a lawyer that you've just been killing it the whole time educationally, you know, you were just a star student in high school, you went on to college, knew exactly what you wanted to do, got your poli sci degree, went on to law school, etc, etc. That's not exactly how it is. And my guest today, Jim King, really laid it out for us in, in a really great story. So I want to revisit that and just give you an idea of what he's talking about in terms of his trajectory and in getting into law school. You know, because I did mediocre work in high school, I didn't have a lot of options for college. And I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't uh, I didn't not have aspirations. I was thinking that there are ways of getting in the, getting places in this world and I need to have a degree. I didn't know what it was going to be in. But then I was then I thought, hmm, this accounting thing might be fun. So I went to community college. And uh, while I was there. I started really enjoying the classes. I started really enjoying the the presence of uh, sort of diverse minds and backgrounds, and everybody actually did want to be there. They were all they all made the choice to take this step and go try to better themselves. And um, so it wasn't a matter of I have to be here anymore. It was like, how what am I going to get out of this, and and how can I how can I learn and. Right. So if you're listening to this and you're in high school, or you're a parent and you have a, a kid who's maybe struggling in high school and you're completely concerned, don't worry because there are so many great avenues and everyone finds themselves and you just got to keep on keeping on. That's really what this is all about. So what about high school? What's the use? The perennial high school question is, when am I ever going to use this? Right. And of course, you know, with things like math and science, you know, I guess that depends on what you're going to be doing. But, you know, there's a lot of math in this world. So you might be doing that. Science might be a little less if you're not in a scientific sort of field. But um, and writing, you know, I, I would say that my I'd say at least half of my job is writing. So uh, when are you going to use it? It depends on your profession. But there's right. there's definitely a lot of writing in this world. <laughs> I think that's that's interesting just to think about. So, again, you know, Jim's a lawyer. He's really bright, really smart, but he didn't exhibit that early on in his educational life. So I, I want to highlight that on this fast track for all of you who are in school or struggling through whatever it is that you're going through. There are avenues to all of these professions. And whether you're going to come in as, you know, a paralegal and stay at that level, or you're going to go and go to the lawyer level, and then you're going to go to the top lawyer level. These all these fields and these industries are stratified. So if you want to come in, you want to be a lawyer, and you want to be a litigator, and you want to go, you know, defend the US government, that's a certain type of lawyer. And that's a certain education. And that's a certain grade level and connections and law clerks and all that, you know, clerkships that you have to get. And then there's, you know, you go to a different law school and you get a different job. But all of these, all of these things are attainable and they're options. And I just want to just make sure that everyone always is considering that don't give up. So what about paralegal training? Is that an avenue for law school? Here's what Jim has to say, because he does have a paralegal certificate as well that he got while he was pursuing his education. Paralegals know a lot about how things work. Uh, they aren't necessarily the ones that frame arguments, but they're, defi they're definitely the on the ground 
uh, doing the work sort of people in law offices. It was kind of like law school light on the subject yeah. matter, but also there was a lot of a lot of sort of organizational classes and uh, and writing classes because paralegals draft things too. And I think that's an important point too. To, I know we're talking about being an asylum officer. I'm just going to weave in a little bit of lawyer paralegal conversation here because always just remember that there's someone at the top of the paralegal chain and there's someone at the bottom of the lawyer chain. So the person at the pop, top of the paralegal train probably knows as much or more than the person at the bottom of the lawyer train, right? So there's always this kind of um, intersection and you can be anywhere along the the line of a paralegal. You could be anywhere along the line of a lawyer. And then it just depends on what level of responsibility you want, what level of education you're willing to or can commit to, you know, financially and personally and all that. So paralegals can be more transactional. They obviously can't go to court and, you know, argue a case in front of a judge. That's, you know, that's the whole bar thing, being able to physically (laughs) cross the bar. Can't do that. Um, But you can do so many things that lawyers can do aside from, you know, signing on the the legal documents and things like that. So if you're a reasonable student and you manage to get into, you go to community college like Jim did, and then you move on to a four-year degree and finish, and then you're going to law school, what if you just kill it on the LSAT? How awesome would that be? And you know what that does for you? It gets you a scholarship. So from going from a mediocre student in high school, you know, you trudge through your community college, then you start, the lights are coming on because now stuff is interesting and you're realizing that there are different people in college than there are in high school. Always remember that too. And then you just really do well on these tests. It's a way to balance your deficiencies, if you will, in grades in college is to kill it on these tests. And that is exactly what Jim did. And guess what? He got a scholarship to attend law school. But there's a couple caveats, and this is this is an interesting point. I'm going to let you listen to what Jim talks about in terms of the scholarship, but also be listening for how law school, and this is true for graduate school in general, how graduate schools are structured relative to what you might have been doing in college. The competition just keeps getting steeper and steeper. So be careful with scholarships, though, in places like law school, because scholarships in undergrad, you know, your grades aren't, you know, there are classes that are curves, but I think that the curves are probably less, are probably more forgiving, and uh, and you're also in. If you're in a class with a curve, you probably are in a large class, and you know there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of A's. You know, you may have to fight to get it, but like uh, uh, you're you're not going to die. You'll probably you can get a B. You know that B isn't going to tank your whole grade point average. With law school, uh, the classes weren't that huge. And in order to get an A, basically you had to be in my in my circumstances, you had to be in the top probably three or four, maybe five people in the class. Out of how in many? every class. Yeah, like out of how many? Like a hundred? Well, like thirty? Like yeah, like probably forty or maybe fifty. Okay. Um, so and then beyond that, you were getting an A minus, which was okay. That was probably not gonna kill your grade point average for scholarship purposes. But if you got a B, that was gonna pull you down. And okay. the scholar the, the grade point average that you needed to maintain was something like three it might have been three, four, three, five, which means that you had to be in that top four or five in every other class which is hard. Yeah, law school's hard anyway. So, and then if you have to maintain that that grade point average and you've got a scholarship on a, on the line, it's awesome that you had the scholarship, but uh, Jim ended up, you know, having to 
waived that scholarship a little bit later and then had to, you know, go in financially into a different situation. So all these things are, are part of the, the conversation. Another thing about law school, I am under the impression that a lot of parents think that law school is amazing for you, <laughs> for you. Like you should go to law school. Wouldn't you be great in law school? What about law school? And maybe that's just because I'm a social scientist, uh, educated person. And, you know, I'm you know, smart in those ways. And so I've had a lot of that, like, go, go to law school, which is not, it's not a good fit for me. And I, I just want to talk to the people who are thinking about law school. It's an amazing education, an incredible degree. It's so many excellent things that you can do with that if you are that person. So listen to what Jim has to say, you know, Jim's a lawyer, and this is what he has to say about going to law school. So my thing about law school, and I think that uh, we've kind of alluded to it before, uh, you know, this, the whole thing about goals, like if you're going to go, if you're going to do a, a thing like law school, um, you need to have an idea what you want to do with it when you're going in. Uh, you don't just go because it's like <laughs> dad told me to yeah. or or, you know, I don't really have any or other I don't, options. Like, yeah, I don't. That's really important. I think that's just something to evaluate when you're going, what's your goal? What's the point here? And not what am I going to do for the rest of my life? But what what do I want to get out of these, these next three years here so that you can lay out your plan? Because then you're going to say, I want to work in, you know, some kind of a, a civil servant service area. That's different from saying, I want to go be a litigator on, you know, for one of these big Wall Street firms. Those are just very different trajectories. And what's required in each of those is very, very different. So it's I I thought that was just great just to think about what is what is the point. So here is kind of a an additional on that. If you think about law school and everyone thinks, oh, you just go to law school and you know you you learn how to be a lawyer. There's so many electives that you can take in law in law school, so many different ways that you can finalize your law degree. You know, you can just take a, a myriad of things and that's how different lawyers end up doing different I mean, lawyers who are trained in different ways end up doing different things because they take different electives, they take different paths, they take different internships. So here's Jim talking about that. So I ended up taking classes in labor law. I took classes in criminal uh, law. I took a sem- I took a seminar that I worked with for the Federal Public Defender's Office. I um, I did uh, I worked for I clerked for a uh, the teachers union. I did some immigration stuff. And so the immigration stuff was where the work kept coming. Right. And I think that's where you just don't know where things are going to lead and your natural tendencies will supply the work for you if you lead with your natural tendencies. And again, we've heard so many times on this podcast, play to your strengths, play to your strengths, play to your strengths. (laughs) I can't say it enough. Then you'll end up where you are meant to be. So Jim's going to give you an idea here about a general target lining up to a real bullseye public policy and human rights. And um, so that's pretty broad. For uh, sure. It allows allows some flexibility. You know, a basic, I mean, where I ended up is on that target, is on the target, but uh, it's not anything that I would have predicted. So um, like, I didn't think about immigration law. I didn't think about uh, asylum. I didn't really, you know, that was not really anything that I had any knowledge about. I It wasn't but it, but you know in reflecting it was definitely in the zone that i was aiming towards 
Right. That's very helpful. That's helpful for all of us, I think, just to think about that. You don't really understand why you're doing something, but it's it's for a reason. And in line with that, there are lots of jobs for lots of different types of lawyers and lots of different education backgrounds of lawyers. So listen to Jim talking about his experience getting his first jobs out of law school. So after school, now we're talking about the dot-com boom here in San Francisco. And so the there were lots of law jobs, but now we're back to the, did you go to a prestigious law school back at from the East right. Coast or Stanford yeah. or Berkeley? And so I'm competing with people with degrees from those places, basically. And this mm-hmm. is a huge magnet for you know people like that to come to. So uh, I was having a hard time finding work. And uh, so I was doing a lot of contract work and the contract work was uh, low paying immigration stuff. <laughs> right. Totally. So, so, um, so I was writing appeals briefs for, uh, for a bunch of different attorneys in town. And, um, and that interestingly uh, provided the foundation for me to be able to get hired into the job that I have now. So interesting. And then please go back and reflect on this full interview as we're talking about this. I think I remember the connection being he had a, either a law school, a friend from law school whose sister was an immigration lawyer, and then she had this work. So this is, again, these connections just keep lining up. And then you find yourself in these ways expressing yourself and being able to work. Also, please reflect on the full interview. There's a really interesting take that Jim has about if he would have even succeeded in those environments where he's talking about people coming from these prestigious law schools that are exceedingly competitive. They're for like, you know, your top one to five percenters. I mean, it's it's not for everybody. So and then if if that's that's going on, and that's who's being selected, would you even would you even succeed in that environment? Would it even be happy for you? Would you even enjoy that? So that's the other thing to think about when you be careful what you what you wish for. So what about this asylum work and immigration law? And where does that where, where does that fit in? And what is immigration law? Listen to Jim talking about kind of the, the, the little bit about asylum work and immigration law. In most cases, government work is does have a service element to it. Uh, and I, I feel like the job that I have has uh, a high degree of service element to it because, you know, I'm doing important human rights, public policy sorts of work along those lines. A lot of those jobs are along are in that forty thousand yeah. dollar if that category where they're NGOs and they're poorly funded. The practice of of asylum law, I think, is largely not. The it's not probably the lucrative end of the immigration you right. know process. The the more lucrative end would be H one B visas and permanent residence and citizenship that you can do kind of a lot of cases and charge each one kind of a pretty decent amount. This is an interesting point too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up because he talks about NGOs and you'll remember if you have a chance to listen to the full interview. If you haven't been with us the whole time, please go back and listen to that. NGOs, non-government organizations. So those are essential different foundations that might get involved. Say if there's, you know, a hurricane in Haiti or, you know, a human rights disaster in these different parts of Africa, these NGOs will be funded separately by foundations or people who have kind of a cause behind them to go in and do do this work. So yes, you'll have your UNICEF, you'll have your Salvation Army, you'll have your Red Cross, you have these other 
entities involved in this kind of work also. But these NGOs have a very specific pursuit often, and then they'll get involved in a specific policy, something that they are working on or they're interested in. And then a lot of very able-bodied service-oriented people get involved to work for these NGOs. But listen to what he said, poorly funded, meaning if if you say you have a government grant to do any of this kind of work or you have, um, you know, that's that's a separate piece. And then you have, um, you know, someone funded, put a, put a bunch of money behind a foundation to, to do this or a company put money behind a foundation to do this. And then something happens and then the company has to pull that funding. It, it's just a it's a delicate balance here. And it's not it's not for people who require a lot of security. It's just not. It's not for people to say on the NGO side, typically, is not for people who they're kind of like, they're just really smart people. But they're just think of you have a service orientation, you, you are your life is about bigger things. So you have um, kind of a higher, higher guiding light that you're that you're searching for. And a lot of times you could do that when you're younger, and you can do it anytime, but you can definitely do it when you're younger, you have, you know, don't have any res- real responsibilities to other people. So there's a lot of good opportunity, but just to kind of fill in the gaps there with where this fits. And then having a federal job, if you are a service-oriented person, having a federal job could be a, a really nice way to have some security and also have that expression and be in a service-oriented industry, as Jim's talking about. So in his work, as we talked about, what's involved? What, what kind of background do you need to be an asylum officer? You don't have to be a lawyer to be an asylum officer. Uh, many people that are asylum officers do have a legal background, and it does help for the obvious reasons of applying somewhat complicated law to somewhat complicated fact situations. Um, but there are definitely non-lawyers. When I started, there were quite a few people that had worked uh, helping process refugees overseas. This uh, is like Vietnam and, um, and other places. And uh, so they, they had a, they had a, a background that, would allow them to understand the situations and uh, they learned the law. And so you don't have to be a lawyer to do the job. Right. You don't have to be a lawyer to do the job, but you do have to get a job as a federal agent. So how do you get a job in the federal government? Please pay attention. The government, I think, I don't know, I've never applied for a job in the federal government. My understanding is that it's very specific and follow the directions. Take Jim's advice here. Listen to what he has to say about getting his first job. This is actually a lesson in bureaucracy. Yes, teach uh, us. So the first, I definitely want to so know. The, the first go, I hadn't applied to a lot of federal jobs. In fact, I applied to maybe a couple. Well, no, I don't think I applied to any federal jobs. I was applying to state and local jobs. Fe- local government jobs and firms and things like that, but I hadn't really applied to federal jobs. So uh, the first time I did it, uh, I read the instructions and I'm good with instructions. I can see this is what you need to do. You have to do this and this and this and this. And um, the way I read it, uh, there were, let's say, four things that I had to do. Uh, I did thing number one, thing number two, and then I kind of conflated thing number three and number four. And I didn't really understand how how I did that, but when they rated my application, they knocked me down to like at that point they used to score them literally, so uh, so I got a seventy because I what didn't are you supposed do to have exactly, like a ninety or a hundred or 
Yeah, if you did, uh, well, yeah, when I it's yeah, like a straight like a ninety-five, yeah. right? So when he went back, once he unconflated, I don't know, is that the word? When you take out, you know, and he didn't combine three and four, then he had a ninety-five, and that's really where you need to be. So that's super helpful, I think, and also just having those connections again. Having you know, if you have someone who can introduce you to the person at the federal government, that's helpful. Even though it's you're still going to have to go through every little step, but follow the directions for sure. So what does Jim really do all day long? If you don't have to be a lawyer, then you're not going to a courtroom. You're not, you know, arguing a case in front of a judge. That's not part of what his, his job is. So what does he do all day? We interview applicants that are asking for asylum. We call them into the office. Uh, I would have basically two cases a day, uh, Monday through Thursday. And then I have, uh, other time, basically Friday and uh, the time in between to write those cases. Uh, each case basically includes uh, a brief that I would have to write about uh, why the person is either eligible or not eligible for the benefit that they're asking. And um, so, and then do all of the administrative uh, tasks that go along with that too. So, um, so it can be pretty hectic. Right. So in that, just to give you an idea of the, the level of the stuff that he gets involved with. So if you have people seek asylum for any number of reasons, and some of those might, you know, be political reasons, and they're under, you know, fear for their lives, they can't express themselves religiously, or etc. It's just a so many reasons that you'd be seeking asylum. And I'm just going to put a little, you know, for those of us who are born into the U.S. as, you know, lottery winners is what how I consider it. If you were born here, you really just have to get how incredible it is, the experience that you, the opportunity that you have for freedoms in this country. And yes, other countries have them. That's not to say that other countries do not have them. But what we have here is special and other people even from well-established, what you consider, you know, very developed countries seek asylum in this country for specific reasons. So just remember (laughs) that as you're, you know, complaining about your taxes, which we all do, I do too, or, you know, getting upset about the, the ticket that you just got or whatever, there are a lot of freedoms that we enjoy here that are unparalleled around the world. So how do you get that done? Because when he's talking about two cases a day, so that's someone coming in, that could be someone pouring their heart and soul out to you about what their life has been like for the last 10 years, for the last 20 months in captivity, for the last, you know, 15 years of oppression with it's, it's like stuff that if you are not familiar with it, if you have not lived this, you don't know what this is. So doing two of these cases a day and listening to people talk about their life experiences and trying to explain to you what they have been under and why that they are seeking asylum and you know could be eligible for asylum in the U.S., Doing two cases a day is a lot. I mean, you really have to be, I don't even know who you have to be, like a super person, because that 
is ability to, to empathize. Yes, you know, you have to just at least like, okay, I get it, you know, but you can't be an empath. <laughs> you can't, you can't be the person who's going to take that all in. You have to be able to listen objectively, which where I think his law background comes in so nicely in this way, if you're trained in that way to look at facts and kind of line things up. So tactically, how do you get that done every day? And, you know, do you stay all night? Do you just keep working forever? You write up your briefs, you know, at midnight at the burning the midnight oil? Listen to what Jim has to say about getting this work done. Overtime isn't really an option. So you have to be very efficient with your time and, uh, you know, figure out where you're going to make up for lost time because an applicant isn't cooperative for, you know, answers questions in a roundabout way and burns up a bunch of time. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a huge job. When I just when I think about what he talks about and the way that he talks about his work, he's so nonchalant, just like, well, you know, this is how it goes. And I think he's been doing this for almost twenty years, so I think he's so seasoned that he doesn't realize how miraculous this really is for those of us who are looking in as voyeurs to see this type of work and just be in awe, really, that someone could could do this. And it's service. You, you're doing this for other people. Yes, there are people who are going to come in that aren't eligible or are lying and all that. But there are also people who really are in need of this support and this aid in life. And the idea that the US government would at all even be interested in helping them is, I think, impressive to me. And then that we have people who will help these help them, you know, get them in line to be able to to get this asylum that they're seeking if they're eligible. So what about your how do you get it? How do you even get a job review? Like what what happens? And how does that impact your work in the federal government? You get rated for your work, just like ah. kind of all federal employees. And if you're not keeping up, then uh, then that can cause you uh, employment difficulties. I mean, can you imagine? So, so here you are, you're doing all this, the Lord's work, if you will, you know, I'm just like really working so hard. And then you get rated and then they say, well, you know, you could have shortened up this time or maybe this, you know, interview took too long. Why were you in there for three hours? We think you could have been four hours. I mean, we think you could have been two hours. I don't know what they say. I'm just imagining, you know, like a really oppressive boss coming in and saying like, because bosses have their own work to do and they're, you know, they have to keep their budgets in line, et cetera, et cetera. So just so you know, but the cool thing about this on the flip side is since overtime, quote unquote, isn't really an option, that means it's kind of project based. So you show up, you have your cases, you do your work, you do the best work you can, you work while you're working, you go home and maybe you'll take it with you a little, but you don't have homework. You know, you're not sitting there saying like, oh, shoot, I've got to get this presentation done for the boss. You're not like working on an all night advertising campaign, you know, for weeks on end to get it to your client. This is very project based work. And then Friday's his admin day where he basically will, you know, write up these briefs and uh, the reports that he has for the for the week, make sure that's all cleaned up so he can start the the week over again. So it's work for a very particular kind of person. I think you'd have to be very organized. And like he said earlier, it's very good at instructions, like understands how to kind of take things from A to B to C quickly enough to continue to do this work for, in his case, years on end. But even if you did it for a year or two or five, I mean, it's, you have to, you have to understand how to do, how to do this kind of work and you have to be this person. If you are that person, then what kinds of things are you doing all day long? Who are you talking to? What is this conversation even like in these interviews? Here's Jim giving you an idea about that. I mean, I've talked to people from around 100 countries in the time that I've done this. 
some countries would be very surprising. Uh, I've talked to nationals of Sweden and Germany. Uh, I've talked to nationals of pretty much all the Yugoslav republics, all of the every single republic in the former republic of the Soviet Union. Right. Um, that's probably not super surprising. Although some of them, some of them are, you know, would otherwise be seen. And some of them are in NATO now. <laughs> that's crazy, right? I mean, you, you, we just think. I, I told Jim as we were talking about. I think of. Remember, they uh, several years ago they had immigrants coming on the shores of Miami from Cuba. They you know would come off in boats and then swim onto the shore so they could make it onto U.S. soil. And then there were news crews there covering it. It was like all this big thing. I think of that, but we're talking like just people, just like you know people like in all different kinds of lives that they're living and you just don't know what people are going through until you get into these conversations. So I, I think it would just be fascinating to be a fly on the wall in these conversations. However, the other side of this is people, you're going to have unscrupulous people and you're going to have, you know, nice, you know, decent people. And then you're going to have people who are, you know, this is a big deal to get asylum. So people have a lot at stake and they might be encouraged. I don't know. I don't, I've never met one of those two people. I don't know what they would say, but listen to who Jim says he has to be, kind of he, how he identifies himself as being what it is to make you good at this kind of work. Let's put it this way. I, I also like playing poker. It's uh, super you, important point. You anal analyze the way that people are acting and 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 you analyze information to try to figure out. Uh, what you should do with your hand. You have your information, you have the information that they're presenting you, whatever that might be, and uh, you do your best to figure out your plan of action. And essentially, that's it's very, it's very analogous to the way that you go forward with an interview. That's kind of neat because that's, that's when you think about who, who does well in different jobs. And if you're a poker player and you love poker and you play with, you know, you have a, a group that you play poker with, would, you, would it ever occur to you to say, you know what, I would be an amazing asylum officer? But it, it should. And now it can because now you have the information. You could, if you're service oriented and you have all the other lines, you know, all the other dots lined up, this could be work that could really work for you. It could be very interesting and cool and you could be really good at it, which is really the point. So how do you handle the job? How do you handle people lying to you constantly? If someone comes in and, and I figure out that they're telling that they're not telling me the truth, I'm not really carrying that around with me. You know, yeah. I, I think I think if you are, you're going to have a hard time doing the job because people are going to not tell you the truth. And if you get upset about that, then uh, then, you know, find another job because like it's <laughs> just going to be the way it is just going to be the way it is. I thought that it's, it's helpful. It's helpful. So you just know if you're that person, but that the poker analogy is really key here in terms of this kind of work. If you're that person who can just look at it blankly, almost as a, as you know, not don't get involved the way I do. It's like, oh, this conversation and what happened to you and what's going on and tell me more. No, it's just like, okay, let's have a conversation. Let me figure out, you know, if you, if you are who you say you are, and this is working the way that you're saying it's working, and I have my evidence on my side, and I have ways to verify what you're saying, and you know that kind of stuff. So, very interesting. So, what is the best part of the job for Jim? Now, I would think if I asked him the best part of the job, he'd say, "Oh, all these, all these stories I get to hear, all this amazing, you know, like experience that people have, like the way that they overcome situations in their lives." But 
he also talks about the people he works with, which I thought is really surprising because when you think about this, I think this is more solitary work. You, it's you in an interview with someone else. And he also talked about all the interpreters involved in this work. That's a whole sideline conversation. But consider this if you're an interpreter, this is an area where you could be very, very effective, very effective, because a lot of times it's technical, it's, you know, specific law conversations, or, you know, and things have to be explained exactly as they are, they can't be, you know, oh, kind of something paraphrased like this. So that that's another whole aspect. But when he talks about the best part of the job, listen to what he has to say about that. Some of the people that have done very well in our office are former Peace Corps, People, they're amazing people, and uh, they're they're all they're all like I said, they're all very motivated. But that's also that also includes the back to this the service element. They all are doing the work because they believe that it's important work. Okay, so there you have it on your fast track. Just to recap, you have the the service oriented. You can be a lawyer. You can not be a lawyer to do this asylum work. You could have come from the Peace Corps or other areas where you would have been exposed to the legal aspects of it as well. And then just a reminder, you don't have to be killing it in school from the time you're five to become a lawyer. You don't have to be killing it in school from the time you're in high school to go to grad school. Any of these things, they're all attainable. It's just a matter of where you want to be on the stratification. And it's all completely up to you. And there are always options don't give up on those. So again, this is Chris Calvert from Career Goals. Thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next time.